Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Well, hey, good morning, Liverpool One Church. It is so great to have you with us for church today. Why don't you just stay on your feet real quick because in a moment we're all gonna pray. But before we do that, I just wanna go on record and just say, man, I am so glad that you've made the decision to come and be with us in church today as we continue our series, Resist the drift at the start of 2024. You've made the decision today, even though you could have done many other things, even though the choice for you was ultimate really. You could have gone shopping, you could have gone out for breakfast, but you've made a decision today to come and choose to just be in a local church. So I salute you because I'm convinced, and we say this all the time here at Liverpool One Church, I'm convinced that when you're a follower of Jesus, it makes you better at life and it makes your life better. And sometimes that happens as a result of us just being intentional about what we do with our time. So no matter where life finds you today, maybe you're coming to church today on the backdrop of having the most amazing week or in contrasting style, maybe this week has been a difficult challenge for you. You've had stuff that's landed on your lap that you never saw coming and it's kind of freaked you out and you feel like your life is a little bit lost, then I want you to know that we have been praying for every single one of you, online family too, you included, that when you leave church today, that you would walk out knowing, feeling and sensing, like you haven't just heard another talk from another guy in a church. That's the last thing that you need in your life. But what we all really want, what we all so value is having a moment where we can press pause on the busyness of life, where we can feel close to our Father in heaven. So can we all real quick bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that today, that as we look into some scripture from the New Testament, that you would bring these words to life for every single one of us that God, that these words would be like that of a seed that are planted in good soil that would grow and would bear fruit and would make sense to us all, non-dependent of where we're at on our faith journey, so that when we leave church today, we'll leave knowing, feeling and sensing like we've just heard from you. And everybody said, Amen. Liverpool One Church, why don't you go ahead and take your seats. I guess that um, the right thing for me to ask you guys right now is to say, hey, how is your prayer and fasting going? Because for those of you that maybe have not been in church yet for 2024, at the very first Sunday back, what we said was we were going to commit as a church family to implement a 21-day period of choosing to be intentional about the way in which we pray to God. And also we invited you to participate in in a fast. Now, hey, there are loads of health reasons for fasting, even if you don't buy into the spiritual reasons for fasting. But we invited you for 21 days to just to create a 15-minute window in your day where at the start of your day, you would be 
so intentional about praying and being communicative to God and demonstrating your seriousness about that by choosing to forgo something that you absolutely love. So I hope that that is going great for you. I think Emma was right last week when she said that some of you are looking a heck of a lot slimmer. You're looking really good, Liverpool one. Can I just go on record and say that? Um, In fact, Dave Alex, who is um, one of my best friends and he is like on staff here at the church, he was telling me just this week that he's decided to fast breakfast. Now, if you know anything about Dave, he absolutely cannot survive without his breakfast. So every day he's coming into work having not had his breakfast and he's moaning that he's cold and he's hungry and, you know, should we all get our violins out for Dave? And like he's looking gaunt and he's lost about eight stone. And I'm like, dude, this is working out well for you. But he did say to me that he's found a fix to help him struggle his way through fasting breakfast. And I said, well, what's that? He said, well, I've just brought my dinner to 9.15. And now that seems to have fixed everything for him. (laughs) You know, in this series, Resist the Drift, we're talking about some of the foundational elements of our Christian faith to try and make sure that they are strong and present in your life. Because when they're not, the temptation and the risk is really high that at some point you're going to feel like you're drifting away in terms of your relationship with your Father in heaven. Today we're going to continue this theme as we keep our discussion going around the subject matter of prayer and how do we pray and why do we pray. But one of the things that I want to go on record and just acknowledge and say right from the start is I totally understand how for some of you, perhaps even many of you, the idea of praying is just an awkward conversation for you. The idea of prayer feels a little bit weird and it feels weird to you because you're not too sure whether anybody listens to your prayers, you're not too sure how to pray and you're not even all that convinced of why we pray. And I just wanna go on record and let you know that you have a friend in me because I feel awkward too, oftentimes when I have prayed. In fact, I know I've shared this story with some of you in church before, but I can remember when I first started doing what I'm doing now. I was a little bit younger, I had a little bit more hair, and I was so passionate about this church that we had started from scratch in our living room, and we had no idea at that time that it was going to become all that it now has become. But I can remember I was so passionate about just prayer and building the local church and connecting with other pastors. I got invited to this pastor's lunch one time and I thought, wow, this is the first time I've ever been invited to anything like this. And at the end of the meal, there was a bit of a discussion. At the end of the discussion, there was a time when the guy that was leading the event said that he wanted everybody to stand and pray. And as I was the new kid on the block, he asked me to pray. So I prayed. But the thing is, I don't know about how you pray. For me, my prayer life has always been this truly personal, intimate thing. And when I pray, I don't pace the floor. When I pray, I don't spit. I don't shout. I don't sweat and perspire. My prayer life is kind of, I don't know, whenever I'm praying, I almost imagine my position of wanting to make myself small before the very presence of God. So now, stood in this circle of about 15, maybe 20 leaders, I prayed a prayer and I prayed a sincere prayer for every single one of these other people that were leading churches around our region. And as I finished my prayer and said, amen, you know that time when you just open one eye to have a look and see, is anybody engaging in this? 
the guy, the pastor that was leading it had his eyes open and he was so angry. And I'm thinking, I just don't get it. And literally at the point at which I said, amen, he literally cut me down straight away and he told the rest of the room, he said, right, well, now what we're going to do, thank you for that, but what we're going to do is now we're going to really pray. And now everybody began to really pray. Now, I didn't know what really praying meant because for me, my prayer life was always kind of quiet and it was not pacing and shouting and spitting all of those things he then began to do. And clearly I had not lived up to his prayer expectations. And I felt like I was the biggest loser on the planet. I mean, what pastor doesn't know how to really pray? So for me, the subject of praying, especially in front of anybody, but even in my own personal life has often caused me to ask this question, like, hey, am I doing this right? The way that I'm saying these words, God, are these right? The way that I'm structuring my prayer life, does this even make sense? Is there any point in me doing this? And perhaps you've asked yourself similar questions as well. Now, if you have, the one thing that I want you to know is that you would also be in really great company with every single one of the early disciples that chose to follow Jesus. Because in fact, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 11, verse one, the scripture will come up on the screen. There was this time when the disciples turned around to Jesus and even on the subject of prayer, they said this, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? And I think that the reason why they said to Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? was because they'd been brought up in a culture. Perhaps they were advised by their parents. Perhaps it was something that they learned at religious school when they were growing up. They were taught that prayer was always to be recited and memorised and we were almost to pray to God in the way that we would read off a script. And yet, there was something about what they had witnessed and observed Jesus doing in his prayer time that made them ask the question, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? I wonder whether or not they'd seen the way in which Jesus was praying and recognised for themselves, man, there is something that just seems real and authentic about the way that Jesus is praying that I've got missing in my life. There is just something about the way in which Jesus prays that doesn't feel quite as mystical or magical or as confusing as it feels for me. So they asked Jesus this question, hey, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And Jesus responds because Jesus is just awesome. And actually, when you look at his teachings, they make so much sense. He gives such clear direction to these early disciples. In fact, what Jesus does, in fact, is give them direction and instruction that would remove all of the mystery and all of the scepticism and all of the confusion around this subject of prayer. And I just wonder today, if we take a quick look at what the words of Jesus actually said to those guys, if we did the same thing too, maybe it would better affect the way in which we pray also. Now, I understand that when we're talking about how to pray, for some of you, it could almost come across as somewhat condescending if we were not looking at the words of Jesus. And the reason why I say that is because for many of you, you've been praying your whole life. Like some of you, you pray every day, you pray every week, you've got a prayer life going on. But the truth is you've been praying in the car, like, Lord, keep the kids safe today. You've been praying as you travel into the car park, like, God, would you find me a car parking space? And yet the equal is true that some of us are just like becoming confused about this subject of prayer because what we're finding is God doesn't always answer our prayers. So Jesus speaks into this issue 
to try and make something that for them was so confusing, so crystal clear. And I think the same can happen to us today. But I do think that we have got to address the elephant in the room first. The fact that we're talking about how to pray makes this almighty assumption that everybody actually believes in prayer. And I understand that in a church as large as this, there's going to be people in the room that are maybe in church, checking church out for the first time today, and you've come and maybe you're an unwilling participant, maybe someone's dragged you along, or maybe you're a willing participant and you're just like, I'm interested to see what this is all about. Can I just go on record and say, wherever you are at in your journey of faith, I am so glad that you are here in church today. I am truly delighted that you've chosen to give us a small window of your time this weekend. But the elephant in the room still exists. If we're going to be talking about how to pray, it assumes that everybody believes that prayer works. And if we're really honest, for some of you, you're already convinced that as for prayer, it doesn't work. And you've got reasons that you can explain and you've got sorry stories that you've even tried to pray and God didn't come through. There have been times when you've prayed that God would give you a yes to the job, but you didn't get through the first stage on the interview. There have been times when you've prayed, God, would you help this person get better because he's sick and they didn't get sick and they died. There have been times when you've said, God, can you help me get out of this financial mess? And for you, it felt like everything was just spiraling out of control and getting worse and worse and worse. So for some of you, You're really sceptical about this concept or idea of prayer anyway. You're not even convinced it works at all. And then you realise on the times that those prayers that you prayed up did work, when you lost your keys, all of a sudden you realised you found your keys in the place where you had left them. Or what about the time when you prayed as you were traversing the rises and the ramps of Q Park, praying, God, would you get me a car park in space? And you got a car park in space. Well, now you realise, well, so did hundreds and hundreds of other people who chose not to pray to God for a car park in space. So the reality of it is, is that you're not convinced that prayer even works. And can I just find a degree of alignment with you? Because I actually think the same thing too. Prayers don't always work, or at least they don't always work in the way that we expect them to. And yet in spite of that, what Scripture teaches us is that Jesus prayed. In fact, it's the one thing that the New Testament tells us that Jesus did often. He didn't heal the sick often. He didn't do miracles often. He didn't turn water into wine often. Now that is a shame. But the one thing that he did often was he withdrew to a place of solitude and he chose to pray. And it wasn't just Jesus that prayed. His disciples would pray also. (laughs) In fact, this is what we know. Even people that say they don't believe in God, even they pray too. You know, I just finished reading a book by Matthew Perry. Remember Chandler from Friends? Like what a sad, sad passing that was just the other week. And he writes this line in his book where he talks about a prayer that he once prayed to God. And he says, God, If you make me famous, then I'll do anything for you. And then he goes on later to recount how only one of them ever kept up their side of the bargain. But the truth is, is even people that don't say they believe in God at times, especially in crisis, will choose to still pray. So now these disciples who've been watching Jesus pray realize that they've got something missing in their prayer life. So they just ask him outright and say, Jesus, 
would you teach us how to pray? And I think Jesus must have been stood there thinking, I thought that you would never ask. And I think that the reason why Jesus did not volunteer an answer to the question of teach us how to pray without being asked was because he knew too of how much of an intimate subject this was. And being the guy that said to people that he loved, hey guys, do you know that you're all praying wrong? He knew that that was not gonna go down well. Being the guy that said to somebody else, hey, you know that thing that you're doing every day that you think is so right? Uh-uh, totally wrong. So Jesus didn't even volunteer the answer until he was at least asked the question. So they ask him this question, will you teach us how to pray? And this is fascinating for me, and we're gonna jump into it in a moment. But what's amazing to me is not what Jesus did when he started to teach them how to pray in terms of giving them a list of bullet points about what they should do. In fact, what he started to do was teach them exactly what they should not do. So if you're in church today and maybe you're a little bit of a skeptic and you're like, I don't even think I believe in Jesus or maybe you read something online and now you're completely anti-Jesus, this is one thing that I know for sure that you would love about Jesus. Jesus hated hypocrisy. And actually, when Jesus started to teach his disciples about how to pray, one of the very first issues that he tackles is what not to do because he did not want anybody to be praying in a way that was hypocritical critical because that had become the order of the day. So even you people who say, I don't think I'm sure about Jesus, you would love that about Jesus. Now this is what he says. Let's jump over to Matthew's gospel in the conversation, verse five, in answer to the question of teach us how to pray, Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You see, this is what you would love about Jesus too. If there's one thing that Jesus hated, it was people that were pretending or were pretentious. You know, kind of like they wanted to make themselves out to be better than everybody else. And yet Jesus was observing that that had become the order of the day the way in which religious people at this time had started to pray in order to make them look almost better than they really were is that they would pray these loud, memorised, scripted prayers loudly and boldly on the street corners so everybody else around them would be able to hear. And when they'd finished praying, the crowd would all clap and say, wow, what a fantastic prayer you are. What beautiful language you use. This is an unbelievable, Unbelievable prayer, and Jesus was like, Whatever you do, if you're really serious about being communicative with God and knowing and feeling and sensing His presence in your life, you, you don't want to do that. In fact, He even goes on to say this He says, Truly, and now He's talking about the people that stand there and pray on the street corners. He says, Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. What does that mean? It means that their reward is this. It's the applause. That's a great prayer. Like that is as much as they are going to get out of it. In other words, he's telling us God doesn't listen to those types of prayers. You know, like the showy off, let me try and impress you with what I know about God and maybe try and make myself above where you are in life. Jesus was saying, God's not interested in those types of prayers at all. He says, He isn't moved by people who pray perfect prayers, scripted prayers by inauthentic people. But then he goes on. He says, but when you pray, now, before we even move on, this does raise a question. 
Because remember, this is Jesus and he's speaking to his disciples and he's saying to them, but when you pray, so my question to you today is, if you're a follower of Jesus, when do you pray? That's the real reason and motivation behind us launching our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And even as we enter our third and final week, and for those of you that maybe have not done the full thing, jump in on it from tomorrow, or even do your own starting from this point on. But the idea is, is that we create a healthy habit in your day that starts off your day in the right foot, where you're intentional about choosing the time and the place when you pray. So Jesus says to them, but when you pray, and I think that the answer that Jesus now goes on to give them is not the answer that they were expecting. He tells them this, go into your room. <laughs> now, this is where it gets super interesting for me because this is not what I wanna hear. What I wanna hear in answer to the question of, will you teach me how to pray? What I wanna hear is like a, a prayer life that is, that is just full of convenience that fits into my life. What I wanna hear is, you can pray anywhere, anytime, in the car, on the plane, on the boat. And I think that there are times where you can absolutely pray on the go. But what Jesus is saying here is, is that he doesn't want you to have this pay-as-you-go type of prayer life that is always solely responsive or reflexive to the things that are happening in your world that you only pray when you're dropping the kids off at school and saying, God, give them a good day today. Please protect them in the playground. He's saying, I don't want the only prayer that you pray to be the times when you go to him and like say, God, I need to find a marriage partner. Have you got one for me before my night out? He was trying to say, look, I just don't want the only time that you pray to be when you drive it into the carnage. That is Q Park, trying to find a car parking space. He was saying, look, I, want, I don't want it to be that way. In fact, I want there to be an element of structure and thought and process to your prayer life if you really wanna get the most out of it. So he says, go into your room. And then he moves on and he says, and close the door. So my question is, why? Why do you have to go into a room? Why do you have to close the door? Does it not work if you're outside? I mean, what happens if there is no door? Is, does the prayer not work? Actually, I think that what Jesus is trying to convey here is just this idea of, it's not about rooms and doors. It's about intentionality about creating a space where you're almost with your physical deeds, saying before God, look, I'm so serious about trying to know you and find you and connect with you. I'm gonna be removing every other distraction. Because you wanna know something, God does not wanna share you with your Snapchat. He doesn't wanna share you in between Instagram posts. He doesn't wanna share you with or without the notifications that come in at such a fast pace on your phone. He was saying, remove all the distractions. And don't do it in front of anybody so they might think you're doing it for brownie points. He was saying, get away on your own. For some of you, it might be a walk out in the woods. For others of you, it might be an intentional drive where you're driving to almost like, because for some of you, you find that that relieves the stress in your life where you can say, God, I'm gonna be prayerfully mindful and considerate of you in this next season. It's not about the room or the door. It's about the idea of just remove the distraction. Because actually, I think that that's one of the main reasons why most of us would agree and say, if we feel like our prayer life is completely ineffective, I think 
you're probably doing what I've done in my life, which is think that I can pray to God without removing distractions. And then when as a result of the prayers not being answered, even though I'm not doing the process right, I then say, well, God doesn't hear my prayers and God doesn't answer my prayers. But here he is, he's saying, go into a room and close the door. And as you pray, your father, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. That, that truth that Jesus has just been so willing to voice is so liberating and helpful to me. Because Jesus is now actually voicing something that if you're anything like me, I struggle with. Because Jesus here is telling us that when you pray, you're going into your room, you're going to close a door, you're going to be praying to your Father who is unseen. Now, how many of us would much prefer the idea or the concept of God if when we prayed, we could see him face to face? Wouldn't that make everything so much easier? And if I were Jesus and I was trying to spin a yarn, I wouldn't reference this, but Jesus goes on record and he's almost saying, look, I know that you might struggle with this in the future. I know that you might find this difficult. I know that the idea that you're going to be praying to a God that is unseen, this might be complicated for you, and this might be a challenging subject for you. But he's saying, I don't want that to be a reason for you not to pray. And he was almost saying to us, even though that you're unsure that God's there, you can be certain that every prayer that you offer up, every time with intentionality, when you pour out your heart to God, you can be certain that He sees you even though you can't see Him. You can be certain that he hears you, even though you can't hear him. It's interesting that he's telling us, you know, pray to your father. He doesn't say pray even to him. He doesn't say pray to the saints. He says, when you pray, pray to your father who is unseen, your heavenly father. That's who you pray to. And then he tells us then, in other words, as a result of you doing this, then your father who sees what is done in secret. Now, Jesus is just wanting to make it absolutely clear, even though you can't see him, he can see everything that you're doing in secret. He can see every time when you get up 16 minutes earlier and you press play on the Spotify track that we've put in that link that we've disseminated in that Resist the Drift PDF and you intentionally start to pray in your room, having closed the door. Jesus is wanting you to know, do you know that your heavenly father, he's seeing that which he's done in secret and he goes on and now he tells us really what we all wanna know. Your heavenly father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And here's that word that he's using again, like when he was speaking about the Pharisees and the religious people, and he was saying that they have their reward. That's it. Jesus was saying, when you choose not to do it like that, but instead choose to do it this way, your father in heaven has a reward in store for you. And it might not always be what you want or you're expecting in terms of a reward, but nothing, no prayer is ever wasted when you choose to offer it up to your Father. So I guess that my question now almost becomes, well, what would your prayer look like, your prayer life look like, (laughs) if you were absolutely convinced that when you prayed to God that there would be a reward for you? Maybe think of it this way, that there would be an answer for you. 
Wouldn't that completely revolutionize the way in which we prayed? Like, wouldn't that be a game changer? Wouldn't that relieve the mystery and the confusion and the uncertainty and often at times the skepticism if we were certain that when we prayed that God was hearing us? And this is where Jesus is trying to say, if only you knew of the difference that it makes in your life when you choose to pray. If only you knew of the great benefit that would be in store if you would just not solely rely on God in those pray-as-you-go moments, driving the kids to school. If only you knew what God could do in you and through you if you just became somewhat more intentional about your prayer life. Because I think that when it comes to prayer, we've all got needs, we've all got wants, we've all got desires, we've all got stuff that we all want and expect God to do for us. But I think that there's a genuine question that we've got to try and figure out. Because I think Jesus has been so crystal clear here in this template with regards to when you pray, try and do it like this. And it doesn't matter if you don't do it every day, if you do five and miss one, this is not a legalistic thing. But Jesus was saying, this is the pattern to follow. I guess now the real question is, well, what do we do? When we're in the room and the door is closed and the phone's been left outside, there's no Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook, no social media. What are we supposed to do in those moments of prayer too? Well, the disciples were wondering about that. And I think that's the reason why Jesus gives us a really crystal clear model of how to pray. In fact, it's a template prayer. It's something that many of you will be aware of because perhaps if you're old enough, maybe you prayed it in primary school when you were a child. It's the type of prayer that sometimes you hear prayed at at funerals and sometimes at weddings. And actually what we've done is we've taken that prayer and we've made that into like this script formulaic preset that that's what we pray to God. And actually, that isn't what Jesus was meaning. When Jesus was speaking about this prayer that is called the Lord's Prayer, he was giving it us as a template for us to build this picture in our mind about how when we go into the room, when we close the door, when we remove distractions, this is how we approach God. And it's not always about saying the exact precise words. It's about following the principles that the words represent. So Jesus tells us, he says, look, if you're ever worried about like, what do you do? (laughs) Do you stand? Do you sit? Do you spit? Do you sweat? Like, what are you supposed to do? Like, do I use my words? Do I use a prayer book? Jesus said, look, let me help you out and give you a guide, a template for how you can pray. So he goes on and he says, when you pray, pray it like this, our Father in heaven. This is the relational aspect of prayer that Jesus wants you to know about right from the start. He's wanting you to know that every time that you pray, you're not praying to a distant, unconnected, uninteresting God out there in the heavenlies. But in fact, you're praying to a God who wants a relationship with you like that of a good, strong, healthy, father-son, father-daughter type of relationship. For those of you that are parents, you know the way that you love your kids and you know the way that there is very little that your kids could ever do that would make you want to shun them or push them away? 
This is what Jesus is saying, your Father in heaven is like. He's saying, look, he's not this distant, airy, fairy, up in the clouds, never to be known type of God. He wants to be known by you in the same way that a father knows his children. So right from the off, when you're praying and you don't even have to use the words, our Father in heaven, but I think that there just needs to be this acknowledgement of, God, I'm thankful today that you treat me like a son and it doesn't depend what I've done or where I'm coming from or what's been going on in my life. I can still come to you like a son approaches his father. That's the principle that Jesus is trying to expand. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. For me, when I read this and I've looked at a lot of study guides regarding this prayer, My overarching take on this is when Jesus is saying you can pray to God like a father, the next line brings some balance and understanding to that relationship. (laughs) You know, I can remember a couple of weeks ago, we were buying a takeaway in our house and um, our youngest kid, just like bold as brass, opened up the door to our living room and he said, oh, I've ordered some takeaway. And then his words exactly were, oh, you're paying for it, kid. And I'm thinking... Kid, like I am not your kid. I am, fa- I am Abba Father. I am to be respected in my own castle that I have raised you from rubble. You know, it's kind of like my expectation is that you don't address me as, oh, by the way, Dad, you're paying for the takeaway, kid. Like, hey, come on, a little bit of respect here. And I think that when Jesus was saying, hey, when you pray to your Father in heaven, just remember one thing for me. He is incredibly holy. So you can't approach him like you would do with the boys down at the park. You can't approach him like he's your mate at the bar in the pub and be so flippant with your words and so inconsiderate to almost not remember that he is, he made everything that we can see. There is air in your lungs today and you're breathing because he has placed that ability within you. And don't forget that he's righteous and he's good and he's holy. So yes, he's your father. And yes, he loves you like a son and a daughter, but he is holy. And when you approach him, you should approach him with that in your mind because he's a holy God. So why not just press pause and just worship him for a moment? Why not just say to him exactly, actually, God, you know what? Um, You're way bigger than me. You're way smarter than me. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. God, I just wanna make myself small in your presence right now because that's what actually acknowledging his holiness is really all about. He moves on and he says, your kingdom come. This is all part of the format of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This part of the template is really Jesus saying, I know you've got needs. I know you want to pray about the girlfriend that's just dumped you. I know you want to pray about that crazy situation that you've got going on with that son of yours or that daughter of yours. And I know that they're not speaking to you right now. And I know it feels like the family home is broken right now, but I know you've got needs and I know you've got wants, but just before we go there, Can we just acknowledge to God in light of His holiness that His agenda comes first? That actually, God, before I'm gonna reel off my shopping list to you, I'm just gonna say, actually, 
God, before I'm gonna pray for the sick relative, I'm gonna acknowledge that actually what I really want more than any other thing is your will to be done in my life. God, before I'm gonna be praying about the job interview that I've got coming up, before I'm gonna be praying about the sickness that's worrying me, before I'm gonna be praying about the marriage that feels like it's on the rocks, I'm gonna say, God, it's your agenda first. And as you do that, I think we start to get the very attention of heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, we've put God's agenda first by saying your kingdom come. Whatever you want to accomplish in my life today, I want that to be accomplished. But now we've done that, now's the time to ask. Now is the time to say, God, you know, I've got this thing going on with my daughter right now and she's not been speaking to me for like the best part of five days and I've got no clue why and this is confusing to me and clearly she's got stuff going on. I'm worried for her. I'm worried for who she's hanging out with in school. Like, you've got that on your mind. Well, now is the time to pour your heart out. Give us this day our daily bread. I promise you, it's not so that when you open up the front door, there's a great big loaf of Warburton's there. It's a principle about saying, God, I'm praying that you're gonna give me today everything that I'm gonna need to get me through this day. God, you know how much I hate going into work and how unkind they are. So I'm gonna pray that you're gonna get me through the day. Lord, you know what's going on in my family. So I'm going to pray and believe that you're going to get me through this day. And I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm just going to be mindful of today. But give us today our daily bread. God, you know of how worried I am about ending up on the lonely shelf and never finding a marriage partner. I want a wife. I want a husband. Now's the time to voice that. God, I feel lonely. I'm lonelier now than I've ever been. And yet I've got the job. I've got the car. I've got the cool penthouse flat. And I am lonely only. Now's the time to pour out your heart to your Father in heaven. And then he says something which is super interesting to me. He says, and forgive us our debts. Another translation says, forgive us our trespasses. The wrong stuff that I've done in my life. God, I'm asking you to forgive me for the times that I've spoke wrong and I've acted wrong and Maybe I've not been gracious and I've not been kind. and Maybe I've been a particular way. God, would you forgive me? But then this next line is a game changer. Now, here's the good news. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do any of this at all. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this next line is so important for you. Because the prayer is that God, that you would forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. In other words, I'm not only gonna be willing to ask God for your forgiveness and therefore not be willing to forgive those that have hurt me either. That is the essence of the Christian life. That's why you cannot, it is not an option for you to live life wounded and scarred about the time that she did a thing to someone in your family, about the time that he did a thing to somebody around your office table. It's not the time for you to be offended or holding on to a grudge because that guy did this and that girl did this. Now's the time to say, God, in the way that you've forgiven me, I'm gonna choose to let go of everything and everyone that's ever done anything wrong to me. This is the moment where we're checking our hearts before God, before we say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. (laughs) This for me is really about an agenda 
because you're not the only one that's got a plan for your life. The scripture says that we've got an enemy, there's someone that's working against us. And this is the moment where we're acknowledging before God, actually, this is what I really want. I want your help to keep me on the right path and be the light that guides everything that is ahead of me. This is what I'm asking for before we pray. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. You know what that last part is? It's a statement or a declaration of faith. It's saying, actually God, even in spite of what's going on in, and you can fill in the blank, even in spite of what's happening with my daughter, with my son, in the marriage, in the workplace, with my finances, with the failed business, even in spite of everything that's going on, I am choosing to stay in faith that actually, Yours is truly the kingdom, the power and the glory. It's a way of us acknowledging that actually, in spite of it all, you're the one that holds our world in the palm of your hands and you're incredibly strong and you're incredibly powerful. And there's not one thing about my life that you don't already know about. So actually God, I'm gonna trust that even when I don't see your hand moving, I trust that your heart is for me. Even though I might not be able to see you working and answering prayers in the way that I expect them to be. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. And as we do this, create a place, create a space, close the door, remove the distractions and use this as an option for a prayer model like Emma gave us one last week all around the tabernacle prayer. As we do this, I'm convinced it's going to see us all resist the drift of falling away in our relationship with God for 2024. Church, can we stand to our feet? We're gonna pray real quick. And in a moment, the band are gonna sing another song for us. But before we do that, can I just invite us all to close our eyes and bow our heads real quick? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're standing here today knowing that you are a holy God. And we're trusting and believing that you genuinely do hold our world in the palm of your hands. So when it comes to praying to you, we don't all find this easy. For some of us, it feels weird, it feels strange. So would you help us this week to perhaps for the first time, or perhaps for the first time in a long time, to create a place, to choose a space so that we can come and be communicative with you in a relational father-son, father-daughter type of way. For as we do this, we're asking that we would know you more, that we would find you more, that we would seek your will more. And as a result of our closeness and proximity to You, that Your Kingdom come is something that we would experience in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' Name, Amen. Just with every eye still closed and every head still bowed, I'm gonna pray one final real quick prayer. Maybe you're in church today and you've just never trusted to pray to God. And maybe the real reason for that is you've never even believed that God is real, but there is something just, I guess, 
going on in the thought process of your life today that makes you say, you know, I wanna try and give Jesus my life. I wanna try and become a Christian today. I wanna choose to put my trust and faith in God because you believe that idea that we've spoken about, that following Jesus makes your life better and you better at life. And right now, if you've never made a decision to become a Christian, then I'm gonna pray a real quick prayer and invite you to repeat these words after me in your heart right now. Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I believe that you're real. I believe you gave your son Jesus to die on a cross for me so that I can know you today. I'm asking for you to forgive me of all the things that I've done wrong and bridge the gap between where I am and where you are. So I'm choosing to believe in you. Become the Lord of my life. As from this point forward, I'm choosing to give you my heart and call myself a follower of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.